Welcome back to The Bridge, uh, a music podcast where me and my co-host, Zach, sit down and discuss some new music that uh, we hope that maybe you guys will enjoy. Uh, this week, particularly, is an album that we've been waiting for all year. Uh, I, I think, Zach, you mentioned to me that it was coming out in one of these previous episodes, and we've kind of kept a little bit of a tab on it as, as the week's been going by, but Shoe Shoes Oh No has uh, finally been released. And we've uh, we've sat down with it almost two weeks now, uh, because we did take a we took a week off for Easter, so I haven't actually spoke to you in person for a good two weeks now. So it's it's nice to hear your velvety tones once again. <laughs> oh, uh, I think that's the biggest compliment I've ever got on my rather ordinary and ugly voice in my life. But uh, I appreciate it, and yeah, it's been a minute. Um. We're also gonna. I'm also gonna grill you a little bit on a an, an album that I uh, uh, supported uh, in our last episode. But uh, because of the content of the lyrics and the EP, I was thinking we'll probably do it at the end and uh, uh-huh, for let sure. people let people know that you know and, and not oh, safe for work after 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 a certain point. It's funny that you say you will grill me because I think I will be doing the grilling, my friend. <laughs> um <laughs> all right well let's uh let's get into to shushu uh the this is a hard to define band i would say but generally i would say it's a synth um it's like a synth i wouldn't i'd struggle to say rock like some sort of synth adjacent focused band there's a well, lot of like uh, vocal forward, but like a lot of sinister synth uh, backing, some noise pop, some art rock, like electronic el- elements here. But he's a very creative, and Jamie Stewart being the the figurehead of the band, he's a very creative composer. And so when he creates his albums, sometimes he'll base them off of like very niche ideas or take niche uh, very niche ideas and make them something else. Like uh, he has an album entirely of Nina Simone covers. That is not what you would expect when you, when you listen to it or uh, an entire album where they do the, the, the soundtrack of Twin Peaks. And so there's a, lo- a lot of creative ideas that go into a Shushu album. And this time the creative ideas, everything is a duet. Yeah, that's right. And uh, his big breakthrough album is called A Promise and came out around 2003. I'm not sure if he released a record before then or not, he but did, that's yep. when I discovered him when I was just a young kid and I was listening to a lot of emo music. And that was really popular at the time, especially among young people. That's very interesting. Um, I hadn't heard that album when I was young, but I actually went back this week uh and gave it a little bit of a, a late listen because i was reading up about uh jamie and shushu and it was an album he released after the death of his uh father who committed suicide um mm-hmm. so that promise was his first release after that and so it came Im- immediately interesting to me to go back and listen to it and see how kind of how uh, how shushu sounded like in uh, 2004-ish i believe uh yeah, like so, in a more primitive form. Right, and so you're familiar with that album. Yeah, so I, I discovered them just on the internet uh, when I was, yeah, like 13, 14 years old, whatever. 
and I was attracted to it because there was a lot of emotion and it was really intense. But the discordant electronic production threw me off a little bit. I just wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. And so I sort of left Chushu on the wayside for many, many years. And then I guess maybe two or three years ago, uh, you or maybe it was 2019, whenever they released, a, whenever he released the, his last album. Yes, 2019. Okay, yeah. So I guess two years ago now. Um, and yeah, you uh, you recommended that I take a listen to the album, and so I started listening to the band again, and has have since you know went back and listened to those albums that you just mentioned, the Twin Peaks cover, uh, soundtrack cover, and the cover of Nina Simone songs, and became excited about this latest upcoming release. Right, right, and uh, and I was definitely excited because my intro introduction was actually very recent. It's through the 2019 release, uh, a girl with a basket of fruit, which is uh, okay, yeah. a demonic possession of an album uh, to, to say the least, a lot of uh, performance art in, in, incorporated in it in, in the way it's uh, delivered in, in, and it was very different from anything else I've really ever listened to um, in terms of it's like blend of harmony and melody with this cacophonous uh, clashing and noise. And there's a song on there, Mary Turner, Mary Turner, that is still difficult for me to listen to uh, today just by the strength of it and the uh, emotional potency of that song. I think uh, at this point in the band's career, their signature really is this balance they've been able to establish between the cacophonous and the har- and the and har- and the harmonious. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they started off and they were very raw, it was a very cacophonous and though tender, uh, still almost grating sound, a very noisy, uh, anxious sound that he was right. putting out. And he's been able, I guess, you know, as, as the as the years have gone on, to be able to, to balance that. And uh, for that reason, I think this latest album especially is perhaps the band's most accessible. Uh, possibly, possibly. Um, it, there are a few times where on this album where he is uh, more cacophonous than harmonious. Uh, but I think there is, a, especially with some of the later tracks and some of the singles, a very more accessible nature to them, uh, but I was curious about asking how how do you um, how do you feel about the synth nature of these albums uh, and kind of the artificial uh, instrumentation that he uses? Uh, I I like it because it's atmospheric. It doesn't uh, it doesn't give me the sense of being very synthetic and in, in that way sort of fake. Like he's trying to create some like landscapes, musical landscapes, and even in this record, I think there's a moment where he incorporates um, some field recordings of birds, and yes. it has a, it just has a very textured feeling to it that for me makes it very alive and real and lively. He's he's very varied with his uh, his instrumentation. Um, there are a lot of synths here, and sometimes the synths are um, so close to another instrument that you might think it is, but it's like this really engineered uh, synth that he's using. There's a particularly there's this goth rock uh, track uh, 
uh, later in the track list that we'll get to um, that I think he does this the most where the song sounds like a goth rock track, but when you pay more attention, all of the, the drum and, 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 and guitar parts are actually the synth uh, synth lines that are so close that they kind of have this uncanny valley uh, effect to them. And in the fact, I would say that the uncanny valley uh, is a concept that I think is pretty uh, important to kind of the reason I enjoy Shushu. Uh, I would say Shushu is the uncanny valley of sound. Uh, everything here is like a ballad or kind of like a singer-songwriter kind of structured song, but it's, it's, so, it's so off at the same time where it's it's not quite that, and it's so close, but a little too to the left or a little bit to the right of what it kind of feels like that it feels uncomfortable, and I think you said anxious. Uh, it's uh, that uncomfortable but weird and intriguing nature to the way that the songs are written or uh, they're performed and put together and composed. Uh, I find to be the most compelling part of it, Shushu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't done uh, like much background into this specific album or anything, but I did notice that uh, he did an interview with Fantano, and I typically wouldn't look at the interview, but I I just had to because I wanted to hear what he was what he was saying, and I just listened to mm-hmm. the first maybe five ten minutes, and he said, you know. Uh, I am just naturally a very on edge type of person, and I think that uh, comes through in his music very much. <laughs> yeah, I can. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, um, it's very, it's very anxious. Uh, when it came to this album, he wrote, uh, and maybe this is why it's the most accessible. And I think this may be a sign of a, a change in kind of his outlook of things. But he says um, the features on this album reflect people that helped him realize. Uh, the ratio of beautiful humans to shitty humans is more like 60-40 rather than what he had always assumed, 1 to 99. And so mm-hmm. this is this unedged uh, kind of, sh- uh, what I say, kind of ed- unedged, pessimistic, yeah, kind of individual who writes this music that kind of exudes that emotion. And, and you'll probably see that all throughout this album. Yeah, and uh, he said the duets actually came about because he was never anyone who did a lot of features or anything on any of his records, as far as I know. And he said the duets, the idea of doing a duet album came about because just colleagues in the music industry and friends, musical friends who who he knew through music, but didn't necessarily know on a very personal level had reached out to him after he experienced a hardship in his life and a number of falling outs at around the same time. And this album was, uh, yeah, it was a, essentially a labor of love that reflects the empathy and the kindness of others who reached out to him during the this moment of difficulty in his life and i think for that reason it has it sounds a little more it sounds a little more positive and is can sometimes not be so discordant not so cacophonous as you mentioned even though it certainly is at times and but but for that reason, I think it is one of his more accessible albums. It can sometimes be mel- melodic. It can sometimes um, incorporate just a just a very earwormy beat 
and mm-hmm. uh, yeah for that reason i think for people who are unfamiliar with shushu there are some standard tracks on this record that will be easy entryways to some of the more deeper and thought-provoking uh, songs and albums that right, is right. absolutely yeah. um let's uh before we get into the album proper uh there's still i wanted to kind of engage with you over his voice um uh-huh. i'm kind of curious how how do you uh digest his voice because it is a very different uh from than your so, average vocalist yeah so his voice for me i was when i discovered shushu and maybe this is a bit personal to me. I was listening to a lot of Bright Eyes at that point in my life, and especially these early Bright, Eye- Bright Eyes albums like uh, Fever and Mirrors and some of the earlier records. And they have a very similar trembling, uh, emotionally wrought, you know, I wouldn't even say tenderness, but... Uh, you know, like somebody who is on the edge of going vulnerable. through a major breakdown. Yeah, vulnerable is a great, great word to describe it. Right. And right. For, for that, for that reason, I think you know, from if you're listening to an album from front to back, it can be a pretty unnerving experience and almost exhausting. Absolutely. In some ways, and yes, for that absolutely. reason, it's almost t- is the type of music that you'd listen to alone. Yeah, absolutely. This is not something I don't think I'd sit down in the car with a group of friends and put any of this on. Maybe Rompus Room, but that's about the extent of it. Um, even then, I'd have to I have to give them some prep <laughs> before I put that one on. Um, but with me, I, I was kind of he has a very melodrama to his to his voice. A lot of dramatic kind of uh, uh, falsettos on it, and uh, he's kind of like a whispery, kind of whiny and drainy in some other points, and a lot more strong and uh, verbose and other points he kind of has a good range and he plays within like really awkward uh eerie ranges that he, you can tell his is not necessarily um his natural singing voice but maybe more uh, uh specific to what he wants to accomplish in in the sound he gives off i always thought he kind of puts off to me like the most uh left uh leaning david bowie lyric like if when David David Bowie gets on his weird train and he starts singing through some songs, you can get a little tinge of it there. I think that's the most familiar, but I, I enjoy it, but I can see some people being a little off by it because it is very um, awkward in, in a way. Yeah. 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 It can be. And I, I see what you're saying about the Bowie comparison, like on some deeper Bowie cuts. Right. Right, right. He has a tendency um, to strain his voice a little bit. But that being said, what you're saying about his voice, how he has a great range, I think that stands out, especially on this record, because it's a duet record. And so there's mm-hmm. something to compare his voice with. There are always like mm-hmm. some back, you know, like uh, background vocals, whatever. Um, yeah, so let's get into the album a little bit. Uh, probably not going to go in order specifically, because I think we should start with Rompus Room, because I think Rompus Room like you mentioned earlier, is an example of a shushu song that is a great introduction for other people who are familiar with shushu already. I just uh, wanted to ask uh, one thing. Since it is a duet, duet album, were you familiar with any of the people who featured on the record? The only one I was somewhat familiar with was the other member of shushu. Um, 
uh, Angela Sale. But every, okay. everyone else I was not familiar with. Okay, so uh, I knew Sharon Von, uh, Von Etten. Uh, she's got a new album actually coming out this year, but she released an album in 2018. It was uh, quite popular, pretty good album. And okay. I was also familiar with Chelsea Wolfe. She's mm-hmm. quite She's quite a big female voice uh, in the metal scene. However, her last album came under some criticism, but uh, nonetheless, uh, a strong female voice in the metal scene. And then also Liz Liz Harris. Uh, she's okay. the male vocalist of the band Grouper, which is just her own her own project, but is a uh, very melancholic meditative type of mm, shoegazy after hours electronic music that uh right yeah you'd maybe listen to on your own time and, and all those uh tracks actually are pretty interesting on the album the ones that you mentioned with these specific uh uh, features. Uh, I actually, I, I, there are, are a list of features. I guess we'll get to a little bit later, or let's talk about the feature as we talk about the song. Um, but you're you're familiar with Sharon Van Eden. Um, she's like a, from my research, she was kind of like an Inbox who uh, artist who was also an actress. Okay, yeah, really, I didn't know she had an acting career. Right, right. That's the little bit I got. So you're you're more familiar with her from her. I believe you said 2018 record? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, she's got a really nice voice. Like yes, her, I, I enjoyed her on the track. Yeah, her style of music is like a singer-songwriter. Right, right. She starts, uh, she starts the album off, uh, actually, with a kind of like that whispering uh, delivery of no, 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 uh, with a calming strumming as well. So already this, the album kind of starts off with a more harmonious and an easy uh, entry than some of the Shuzu's previous works and it goes to what you were saying about the accessibility. Um, and with the song and with other songs, because there is a duet nature to them all, sometimes they're uh, are done in different ways. And this one is done in a more narrative way, I believe. There's a lot of dueling vocals where uh, one person will deliver one line, someone will deliver another line, and then we'll meet in the middle and harmonize other sections of the song. And this is... Uh, Reminiscent of this song. This is how this one is kind of structured out. Yeah, this song uh, is like a, it's a, lyrically it's conversational. It's like they're talking back and forth to one another. Right, right, and, and uh, also like mes- sad mescalita the song, uh, mescalita being a drink, uh, and so there's this image and kind of with the tones that are encompassing the song in general and kind of gives it this eerie feeling and kind of like again that uncanny valley to like a ballad where. Uh, it gives off a very melancholy and somber tone of these two people uh, uh, talking and getting to the, the facts of the matter over a drink. And that's kind of the image that the, the album opens with, especially with the uh, sharing with her vocals and uh, Jamie's dueling vocals back and forth. Yeah, and uh, but it's very accessible because at the beginning it's quite uh, sparse. It's just her voice. And uh, the chords of an acoustic guitar, and uh, she has this refrain na na na, and the the pluck of the strings follow her refrain, and mm-hmm. uh, I thought the her voice also had a bit of a perhaps a more 
angelic quality to compared to Jamie Stewart's, but it still had this very fragile gentleness that played very well with with his voice. I thought they complemented each other quite well. Right when uh, when they do the uh, the harmony sections, uh, because Jamie's vocals are so unique, I always find that he's very discordant with and in the harmony sections. Um, mm-hmm. His voice is very clear and uh, pops out amongst uh, uh, at least Sharon's vocals here. In some other places, he he kind of sneaks his voice in a little better, but here it's very discordant. But I don't dislike that actually. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I, uh, I think because of the uh, library of interesting and uncomfortable synths on this album, um, it kind of feels right. Like it kind of fits within that shoe shoe stamp signature sound, even though he's discordant and a little off tune with uh, Sharon. It kind of adds to that uh, overall emotional tone that shoe shoe's known yeah. for. Yeah, like it added a, a, a layer of softness. That in in retrospect is kind of missing a little bit from his discography, and mm-hmm. I thought that his yeah like the discordant and cacophonous nature of his of his voice, the crackling nature of it, was supported by some of her softer harmonies. Right. Um, so this is the first track in the on the album. Uh, then it which is in- uh, it's a little. I found it a little bit of an oddball track to open with. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of pacing of the album, uh, it's a little oddly paced, I think. It, yeah, um, it is, yeah. It's not... I would say any... Uh, it might be a little bit... Well, I don't think there's any one song that you could just click and turn on on this album that doesn't encompass... Encompass, sorry. Encompass Shushu in some way that... And, and it is a song that I enjoy to listen to uh, with maybe one exception. Um, so like it's weird where it's oddly paced and there's not a narrative structure in the album at all. It's just a, it, it is what it is. It is what, you know, it's been sold at is, is, is a album of duets with people that he cares about. And so in terms of pacing and narrative and kind of like the uh, shape of the album, it's a little, Discord in, in that kind of way as well. Um, yeah, it's there's a bit no fast like, and interludes. Or, you know, there's no interludes or any connecting sounds from one song to the next song or anything like that. It, it is they're all their individual pieces. Yeah. And so Stand, standalone songs. Yeah. Right. So yes, it's a weird one to open with, but at the same time, with the way the album is structured, with eh, it's just, just as good as any song, uh, I guess, with what they're going for here. Yeah, that's a fair point. I can I can certainly agree with that. There's not really a song you could uh, choose from the track listing and say, "Yeah, I think this will be the in- in- introductory track," because there's not really, like you said, any sort of consistent idea or uh, narrative, anything like that that thrusts through the album. Each song you have to sort of take it as it is. Right. They're all like encompassing of like kind of what. Shushu writes a bit in general, like family politics, sex, love, and loveless, and suicide, and how they're all connected. As Shushu uh, has uh, noted before, that that's kind of what they write about, and they don't really stray that far from those kind of ideas on this album either, even within the ballads uh, that that are found here. 
Um, so another song that was a uh, pretty interesting to me was uh, I Cannot Resist, which is the second track on the album. Uh, and this one features Drad Majesty uh, and features the most specifically the singer Deb Damore. Yeah, this song reminded me of a Sufjan Stevens type of track, honestly. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was, it was uh, like a like a, a piano-driven ballad, more or less. Right, there's like piano, synth harmony, there's atmospheric samples. This is the bird song that you mentioned. You know, uh, also got some chimes and strings and maybe a xylophone or a xylophone-esque synth that's in there. Um, a re- lovely refrain as well from, from Drab Majesty. Um, this is a... <laughs> I, I like the song a lot because of the, the left turn it takes halfway through. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, just explain what you mean. Uh, when he... Like, the song is generally a, uh, a love ballad. And kind of straightforward for like the first half of the uh, the song, until he gets to the point where he sings, "Bong Bing Bong Go Bong," a head rolling down the stairs, and and suddenly the whole tone of the, uh, the song shifted for me, uh, and I had and like rereading the lyrics and realizing that, you know, this is like some sort of like uh, murder scenario and like this passionate uh, scenario that kind of. What I thought probably is what you'd find on murder murder ballads, which you've uh, mentioned before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that maybe this is a a song you uh, you attracted were attracted to on that basis. Uh, I found a lot of the songs on this record, honestly, function the way you were just describing, where they'll sort of incorporate an element here and a, an element there at the beginning of the or the first half of the song, but not necessarily together. And then at the second half, there's like a shift in tone or he'll introduce some strong percussion line. And then all of a sudden, all the different elements that were introduced at the beginning of the song begin to crescendo and climax together towards the end. Right, right. It, this one, um, I'm particularly fond of the breakdown that they create with the birds and the chimes that you, you mentioned that starts at like a minute 30. It's this mm-hmm. like kind of sprawling cacophony. It morphs into this more melodic scene when the birds and like the the chimes break out. Um, that it, it, that then eventually emerges into that Bing Bongo line, uh, head rolling down the uh, the stairs, and then uh, it just uh, it it kind of reminded me right there at the end. It's like, oh yeah, I'm listening to Shushu. Yeah, that, this is <laughs> I should have expected that. Uh, yeah, it's um, perhaps one of the more a- atmospheric tracks on the record. I would say. Yeah, it does build uh, and have that like breakdown section that's really loud and cacophonous. Uh, but before that, you know, it's more. I, I want to. Sh- I struggle to say standard because nothing on this album, uh, especially when you get Jamie's hands all over it, feels standard. Even though it's kind of like, like I said, the Uncanny Valley where it almost is, but he he just makes sure that it doesn't quite uh, doesn't quite fit or feel as standard as it is. Um, the next song is a song I recommended. That we uh, that we talked about, which was the Grifters. Um, you you said to me that that was a little interesting. Is there a reason why you thought that was interesting? Uh, so yeah, there's this song just wasn't particularly interesting to me. It was it seemed to me to be like something I would come to expect from 
from Shushu. It was like one of the more discordant tracks on the album I found with the very loud horns and it was more noisy and had, yeah, like uh, more noisy elements, but there was nothing really that was, not that it was a bad song, but it wasn't particularly remarkable compared to some of the others. Right, and I'm going to couple this with another song because, I, and I'll connect the thoughts here in a second. Uh, with that being your thoughts on uh, on the Grifters, how did you end up feeling about Saint uh, Dimphia? I may pronounce that wrong. Saint Dimphia. Saint Dimphna. Dimphna. Uh, so I had recommended this song, right? And yes. it was a note to you as well, but. Coming back to it, uh, I wasn't so sure. Like uh, it had more strained and discordant vocals, which was classic Juju to me. Um, and similar to how we were just saying, like the musical elements crescendo towards the end, it was sort of more. I felt like he was going into an area of comfort with these songs that sort of, I guess, stood out because of the collaborative nature of some of the other songs, which, yeah, gave the band a new sound. Right. I, I thought these were very similar songs. Uh, they, they both kind of uh, do, do the same kind of thing. And I enjoyed them both for specifically the chorus work being extremely well. Uh, I, I think that his harmony in Grifters with Haley Four. Uh, which is a Chicago kind of like a baritone folk artist was very interesting and very compelling. And I thought it was the best harmony section on the album, which is when he and, uh, and Haley on the grifters uh, sung the chorus. Now in terms of song structure, the verses kind of lose me a little bit. You're right. It's a kind of a strummy harmony, male vocal, male, female vocal kind of a ballads, uh, ballad you going, uh, uh, kind of like dramatics and tones and the strings and all that. And, and it's kind of not, it's kind of powerful for the course for kind of the more mundane tracks on the album, the ones that kind of fit together a little bit. And I think that the grifters and uh, Saint were of the same ilk when it comes to that, where they had very compelling parts and on their own outside of the context of the full album are great songs. Uh, but I think they, um, kind of blend in a little bit it was some of the uh, longer runtime of this album for for sure i will say about saint dimphnia that it has a tra uh, it has a sax and the sax really builds and is a central part to how the song concludes i just wish it was incorporated more consistently throughout the song it doesn't really right. begin to feature until towards the end. It introduces itself midway through the track, but uh, it really is the end note on how the song concludes itself. Um, and it's perhaps my favorite, my favorite ending to any song on the record. But uh, right. gets it gets a little bit. Uh, the, otherwise, the song I found gets a little bit lost. Right, I, I like I said, I think the the harmony and the vocal duet is really compelling on both of those, and, and that's kind of the main event for both of them. Um, but in terms of instrumentals, still very compelling. Like to listen to a Shushu song in general, I think he does a good job being uh, composing his songs. 
but I, I think it loses yeah. some of its spec when you, you sandwich it in with all these other tra- tracks. Uh, it doesn't do enough to stand stand it from the uh, from the herd in that regard. Uh, so I thought those were both songs that accompanied that kind of emotion for me from this album. So you wanted to talk about Rumpus Room. Yeah, Rumpus Room is uh, what I would consider the most shushu song on the album. Uh, people who just came from the 2019 uh, album or some of the previous albums will find yourself uh, very at home here. Uh, the duet is with the Australian rock band Liars. Um, and this so- a song is like... Between the low-key name drops to Flaming Hot Cheetos and Fuego Takis and Unwrapping a Cutie uh, over a disembodied chorus uh, with a hellaciously catchy synth line and a low-tempo groove and just fucked-up lyrics and a collage of vocal samples over the chorus, it's just so devilishly catchy and weird that uh, I can't help but uh, move and groove to the song even though it feels like a, uh, I'm in a bar in, in hell. Yeah, sort of a little bit interesting. They say, like, uh, this is you'll feel at home if you're a shoot fan with this song, because while I agree that uh, the lyrics are certainly hellish and horrific, um, it is more of, it's perhaps one of the most... I don't want to say mainstream because then it sounds like it's like pop music or something that's cheap, but it's, uh, it's the most catchy and groovy of the, uh, on the album. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly one of the more catchier songs I think I've ever heard of the, from Shushu. And for that right. reason, one of the most accessible. Right. It, it, the song felt like the vague memory of last night's LSD trip. Uh, like, just like from weird thoughts. And, and the way the lyrics are put together, like they're non sequiturs all over the place. Uh, the chorus is just like uh, rompus room, rompus room, 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 black, black, blue, 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 rompus room, crampus room. And like it just goes, and, and it's like these non sequiturs all over the place. And it's just this chaotic uh-huh. mess, but it sounds good, you know, as he's. And he's yeah. Out, he's out. And the lyrics are they're not, they're sort of sung like an, I wrote down that they sound sort of like a rap interlude. Like they're not really sung. They're sort of just spoken underneath all the, the synth and the catchy bass line. And like you said, uh, yeah, it's sort of a song that puts you in the weird space of having a really fucked up night before. And then you went to the bar to try to get over your hangover. Right. You're just in this weird space. Right, it's it's all over the place, and and so weird and awkward and so uh, endearing because of it to me. Uh, very uh, uh, endearing, yeah, uh, is how I would say. Very endearing, uh, and and that's kind of what I like from my shushu is it's kind of that oddity that they they go with, where they'll have these compelling lyrics, but they're also not afraid to, like on the last album, sing about. Uh, a thousand butthole fleas getting eaten by a by a frog, and it's just like these crazy weird imageries and and oddities that that Jamie will go for, which you'll be find on Rompus Room on this album. But honestly, it's the only spot you're going to find it on this album because I think this is the only song that really encompasses that sound. Yeah, it's definitely the most fun track 
on the album. That's that's for sure. And uh, I think it's just part of the reason is it's the most synthetic track on the album. Like the band is known for incorporating a lot of unusual instruments and they live up to their reputation on this record here however rumpus room uh does that the least right which is not not knock against the track but i think is perhaps one of the reasons why it's um yeah just fun to listen to and great for a more casual music listener right so uh you could feature this track on like some party track that you like or a party playlist that uh, you put on when your friends you could sneak it in there. I think you could sneak it in there. Someone might yeah. might raise an eyebrow and be like, "What am I well, listening to?" Just put it deeper into the track list when everyone's a little bit drunk and I think yeah. they'll vibe with it. Get everyone a, a few drinks deep and then sneak this one on there. I think you might be able to get away with it. I agree. Yeah. Um what were some other uh, highlight tracks for you? Uh, so I think the centerpiece of the album is 100 Years, which is uh, the Cure tra- uh, cover. It's a cover? Oh. Yeah, it's, uh-huh, yeah, it's a cover of uh, the Cure song. See, I'm not super familiar with the Cure. That makes a lot of sense now after listening to the that song. This is the goth rock sh- uh, track I re- referenced earlier um, uh-huh. with Chelsea Wolf. This is uh, probably the longest song on the album, I, I believe. Yeah, it's by far six and a half minutes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is like the longest one, six and a half minutes uh, on the whole album. I, I kind of wrote that this was like a, like a throwback goth song, which makes a lot of sense because it's literally a throwback goth song. Um, so uh, that one. <laughs> so I, 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 I kind of threw me off because I'm not familiar. I wasn't familiar with the song. I didn't know it was a cover. So okay. a lot That's of my cool. comments are kind of funny because. <laughs> uh, but that I think said, like uh, I, I could... that being said, it's the song that reminds me the most of uh, his last album, "Girl with a Basket of Fruit," because of the goth and horrific, the horror element nature of the song. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, I wrote here <laughs> that it really reminded me of that old goth rock stuff, like you showed me "Alien Sex Fiend," uh-huh. uh, <laughs> yeah. and it, it came off sounding like one of the longer tracks. Uh, on that album, uh, yeah. like Reanimator or, or something like that, it was called, and that's kind of what put me in mind of. And I thought this was a little, uh, a nice different uh, flavor on the album. Uh, I thought it really stood out amongst uh, all the other tracks, even though it is like a duet, like everything else. It was structured a little bit differently. It kind of came off a little differently, and he recreates all the instruments here with synths, um, which I thought was really compelling. And yeah. even though it sounded so much like the original instrumentation, a closer ear, and it's like, this is all synth made. And I thought that was really compelling as well. Yeah, I thought the way he used the synths on this track had a lot of, like, it added that uh, horrific element, that sort of those sort of horror goth, goth oriented elements that um, you hear on uh, Girl with a Basket of Fruit. And like you said, some of the earlier. Uh, goth rock music from like the early 80s uh, also i thought the song was all quite instrument uh, interestingly paced in the sense that uh, it's very aware of using pauses and for that reason it has sort of i guess what you could characterize as drops in the sense of electronic music where uh, 
they have periods where the music dies completely and then they're and they're just singing the duet and then there's a pause and then the music kicks back in again right and i thought the yeah the nature of the song was very electronic is that in the original uh, composition like uh how does this compare to the original i like this song actually better than the original i'm not intimately familiar with the original song but i i have listened to it and listened to it again but i, I like the cover more honestly i thought they did a really great job with it yeah i'm gonna to have to listen to the original myself after we record because uh, i'm interested in seeing how that that, that compares um because i was really a big fan of the last section during the last verse where the song really explodes and justifies its length uh, mm-hmm. they mix uh, their vocals over the top, the top of the sinister, sinister goth synths, and it's very lovely. And it just makes me feel like I'm dancing with my Frankenstein bride in the thunder. You know, just uh, it's well, very yeah. moody. Compared to like, uh, you know, if you were with uh, the right crowd, like you could put on Rompus Room and 100 Years at a at a party and you know people could dance to it like the songs are danceable like there's a there's a weird like line to it all where it's very off but it's also still has a core there that is danceable and immovable and a little more accessible but it's still like drenched in that shushu flavor that is off-putting yeah certainly off-putting but i wouldn't go ahead and call 100 years or rompus they're not anything. There's not nothing cacophonous about those songs. They're not, uh, there's not any grating sounds, for instance. And in fact, they have uh, really nice harmonical uh, har- harmonic vocals upholding them. Uh, which is what I wanted to ask you next. What did you make of the duet between Chelsea Wolf and Jamie Stewart? Uh, I thought their their harmony was really good. Um, I enjoyed their work together here, and I actually enjoyed where Chelsea Wolf kind of does her own singing. There's a little bit of an effect on her voice, and it's kind of like uh, like off the side to mix when she comes in during the verse. Um, I enjoyed that a lot, actually, just when he when she kind of sung on her own. And uh-huh. I enjoyed that part of the duet when they were dueling. When they did the harmony, they, they fit together, and he fit into her range better. Um, but I, I kind of enjoyed her solo stuff on this song uh, a little bit better. Okay, that's interesting, because... Um... I liked the balance that they both had because I found he certainly dominated over her voice, but they buried buried her voice maybe a little bit in the background, and it just brought out a nice balance. And it can be loud, but uh, it's very much on the edge. And her voice was almost, you know, it, it sort of supported his. And I thought it uh, like I could hear both their voices very clearly in the mix and i guess maybe it's a testament to not only to how the vocals are but how you know how well he is at mixing his records like uh, all the elements are so easy to distinguish from one another right right There's, they all have their space and even when they get crowded on top of each other and they create these cacophonous aspects they're still uh mixed well and defined that you can kind of pull them apart if you wanted to the there is a song uh, I did want to get to I gotta talk a bit because it's probably my least favorite song um, on the album and it's a bottle of rum. Uh, okay. What did, uh, how did you end up with this one? I'm a little bit interested to know why it's your least favorite because 
I thought it would perhaps be a good song to introduce the record, honestly, because it has a distorted percussion, but also has nice acoustic and electronic chords. And I thought that created a good balance, but also perhaps the best way to summarize this strange synthetic duet ballad, sometimes dancey record that is a little bit all over the place. Uh, so this song stood out to me because it's so different on the album. It's so different than everything else, in my opinion. This is very much like an indie folk song. Um, she she kind of like Liz Harris delivers over the top of it, a very indie ambience with her singing. Um, and then I thought Jamie's falsetto with her was very discordant, like that first song with Sharon Van Eden. But because the music in that first song is so disjointed a bit, and odd and awkward and kind of had that shushu energy about it that it's kind of fit here it's the same thing but everything's more clean and it's more of a strummy atmospheric indie rock song and so his clashing in the harmony just kind of felt ugly to me and it didn't fit the fit the overall tone of the album at all it, it felt just like a standard indie rock song with a little bit of a kind of it kind of felt like you're looking at a family photo of your goth stepsister from like 10 years ago or your seeing emo stepsister from like 10 years ago. And she just stands out so odd in, in the track. And that's what Jamie feels like to me on this track. It's just a weird adjacent piece that doesn't quite fit for me. I just feel like it was a merger that didn't quite come together. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. See, so I'm uh, familiar with Liz Harris and uh, like her music is like uh she has one album in particular it's called dragging a dead deer up the hill and <laughs> i thought that their voices didn't clash at all i thought their voices complemented each other quite well and uh his especially towards the end um you know the way his voice sort of rises over hers yeah, it was uh, I can see what you're saying about it being a little bit more of like an indie song, maybe. But uh, I thought he incorporated good distortion on the on this track, especially with the percussion and in in the in the vocals also. And it gave it a little bit of an edge. Maybe it's one of the less edgier songs. Maybe you're right, but uh, I think I, as a standalone song, I kind of liked it. Yeah, it's a standalone song, sure. Um, it just felt so uh, alien on this album by how clean it came off to me and, and like kind of how well-produced and like indie it was. It just didn't yeah. feel like it fit. Especially at the end of the record, I can see where you'd get that vibe. But there's also Ants, which is, doesn't make any sense, but... That's <laughs> <laughs> that is the most bizarre thing. To, like, I, just, why? I just don't yeah. understand. <laughs> I wrote, I don't know what Ants is. I didn't, I, I don't, think it needs to be there but i don't know if it needs to go either like <laughs> yeah. i don't i guess just keep it there it's like 15 seconds and just the weirdest little refrain you'll ever hear yeah. and <laughs> I, I suggest the listener to just go listen to that but wait okay don't listen well, to that song until after you listen to everything else because it the is, is the weirdest end and it's 15 seconds, so like by the time you stop what it is you're doing, realize, oh my god, this is annoying the shit out of me. And then you open up Spotify or Apple Music or whatever it is you're streaming the song on, uh, this, it's over. 
And so <laughs> you, you, you always listen to it, no matter what. At least that exactly. was my experience with ants. Uh, I, I didn't know if it was... It, I, honestly, I thought the, the album had ended and uh, Spotify had gone on to another playlist or something. Uh, uh, yeah. And then I checked, I was like, wait a second, what? This is actually on the album? But that's a... That's another thing altogether. I didn't know how to approach that track. It's just the last track. It's 15 seconds, and it's just uh, it's kind of funny, honestly, uh, in terms of its compo- uh, like its placement. So but, I, I uh, thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, obviously it's an acronym for something. I don't know, but uh, it's just it's an enigma. What can I say? <laughs> but um, uh, I also want to know. This album is called Oh No. Uh, however, we have skipped over the song "Oh No," and I think the reason is is because, especially for a title track, rather unremarkable. Yeah, it kind of is. It's a, it's okay. It's it's kind of bleeds in and it's over really quickly. It's pretty. It's like a two minute song. Um, it's just kind of when you, when you got this uh, 15, 15 it seems a little weird with ants on here. When you got like a fourteen song uh, album that's like fifty three minutes long. Um, a two two and a half minutes can kind of just disappear, and I think so. Uh, oh no, was one of those songs that just kind of disappears, especially because it's placed right next to Rumpus Room, uh, which is such a standout track that uh, makes Oh No even that much more forgettable. And I think is a testament to perhaps a little bit of the not poor pacing, but haphazard pacing on the record. Right, this one. It just felt like a little weird. Um, it's not a bad song, I would say. I don't think there's any bad songs on the album per se, but there is a little bit of a pacing issue. Um, and I guess, like, if he wants to have uh, an effort with everyone that kind of spoke out to him and inspired him for this album, I think that's more important, probably. Yeah, which I can certainly understand. But why, why this? Why name this song? Oh no, I'm just right. Uh, you know, it's and the title it, track to your album, and it's see, it's one of the more forgettable tracks. Yeah, it just kind of fades. You know, it just kind of is there, especially with the like the blood track listening. It's some some tracks are just kind of gonna fall to the side, and obviously, we're not talking about every track on the album here. Uh, we're kind of put, 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 picking out some highlights to kind of mention to you guys. Uh, but uh, Ono is kind of like just mentioned because it is the title track, but it did fall into the side with some of these other some of the other tracks that uh, we're neglecting to mention as well that you will listen to as you go through that I don't think are bad songs. Like, honestly, if you just put on any song on this album, honestly, uh, and just listen to it uh, brand new, uh, just like it's the first time you listen to it, I think they all have a com- like compelling structure or idea to them. Uh, I just sometimes, uh, with the entire album in, in view, that some of them get a little blurry. Yeah, the, there's no there's no song on here that you would say, "Oh God, uh, what ha- what happened here?" or that stands right. out as being particularly weak, other than perhaps ants. Um, ants I'm not counting ants as a song. <laughs> I don't oh, think there's oh, an issue. But I mean, you know, let's just kick take the piss out of ants while we have the opportunity. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there are certainly there are some songs that just don't that stand out as being not as good as the others because there are so many good songs on this record. Right, right. Um I think that's uh that's good for covering the album. What did you uh what were your ultimate thoughts about this whole piece? Like I think that 
we both shared that idea that some of the songs get buried a little bit. Um, but it's a, I think overall a pretty compelling and interesting concept album of sorts. Well, I think, you know, Juju is forever putting out concept oriented, oriented albums. And yet again, he delivers a, I don't know if I would call it necessarily, you know, concept, but he decides to do a album full of duets, which is something that he's never done before. He rarely features artists. And so, again, it's a point of intrigue. And uh, it certainly got me excited for the album when I realized that it was full of duets. And I got to say, I thought it, even though the pacing uh, perhaps perhaps suffered a little bit because of it, I thought that uh, it, every song was very fresh. It, uh, you know, the the song the song list the song track the track listing never got boring from one from one song to another. Uh, yeah, I really I really liked the album, and uh, I thought it was some of his most accessible music to date. Right. I agree with you. I, I really enjoyed this album. I uh, I gave it a lot of listens and uh, a lot of good moods and tones coming out of this that I was really compelled with. Um, I like the concept. And like I said, I, I could listen to any of the songs and enjoy them. There are highlights here. I think Rompus Room is a, a, a very good highlight. Uh, I think I Cannot Resist is a good highlight. 100 Years is a highlight. Uh, those are some ones to stand up to me uh, as, as go-toe in songs, I guess. We'll jump over to that, but I, I definitely enjoy this album. Uh, considering how long it was, it's still I still found a, a motivation to listen to it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just enjoy a lot of Jamie's work. Uh, it's definitely a it's definitely a band I, I intend to go back to. They always have a a very good seal of quality whenever a, a Shushu album comes out. Yeah, it's it's all always quality, and there's always thought put into the music, which I think is part of the reason why. Shushu is such a compelling band, and whenever they release music, I'll certainly be checking it out uh, in the future. Great. So I'm going to walk away and say I ra- uh, rated this album uh, a strong 8 to a 9. Somewhere in that range is where I'm feeling. Okay, yeah. uh, might sell on an 8. Yeah, I think uh, for me, I don't, I don't think it's getting up in that 9 category. Just uh, I think perhaps... There's no filler songs, like you said, because of the because of the place where this album came out of. But it runs a bit long, certainly does. And like we were saying with a song like "Oh No," uh, "Goodbye for Good" is perhaps another song, or you know the egregious ants. There are just some tracks here where I wonder why. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's uh, it's going to be more of a an eight for me on the on perhaps the lesser end, sort of staring down towards a seven, but sure. nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, you know, a stamp of approval and recommendation. And uh, I agree with you as far as all the entry tracks. Uh, I cannot resist Rompus Room, One Hundred Years, all solid tracks, and a great way to discover new artists too. If you haven't heard of artists such as Sharon Von Etten, Chelsea Wolfe. Liz Harris and so on. Right, right. Um, all right. I think there's a bit time that maybe you should tell me how you thought about that uh, that album I was talking about last week. Uh, okay, think, so uh, I've been anxiously awaiting your uh, your viewpoint. Okay, so introduce this album for me. Could you please? 
this album. This is a, a 16 minute uh, hyper pop slash metal uh, Gen Z um, sexually hyper focused, hyper energized album with just a lot of personality. Uh, slightly annoying, but like charming, I would say. Okay, so. I didn't listen to this album from front to back, but I listened to a few songs, ones that came highly recommended by you. Uh, <laughs> notably, Hi, I'm a Slut, and Cat Boys. Right, right. Uh, Cat Boys is my favorite song on the album. Okay, I'm a, so... I Am a Slut is not my favorite song on the album, uh, mostly because of the uh, the little audio clip in it. Uh, it kind of grates me, but I think that's the only uh, point on the album like that. Okay, so for most people around the world who are going to go and uh, her self-titled release, they're probably going to listen to at least Hi, I'm a Slut because it's the introductory track on this record. And <laughs> this album, or this song in particular, is very problematic in many ways. <laughs> for one thing, it... Uh, perpetuates this very toxic Im image of women that I think is emerged especially uh, with internet culture where, you know, 12-year-old boys can get on the internet and look at women degrading themselves on pornography websites and think that's normal and okay and then they end up having really fucked up and unhealthy sexual lives because um yeah what sex is actually like in real life doesn't reflect the weird representation that they experience on the internet and i am reminded of a rather yeah regrettable cardi b song uh which goes under the anachronym of wop which stands for Wet Ass Pussy. Mm -hmm. And essentially, this song is the exact same as the Cardi B I song. Also, I should also say I love that song as well. <laughs> okay, well, uh, and I just, I just don't get it. I just don't see what the appeal is. It seems like it's just a hyperbolic, uh, per t potentially dangerous representation of young people and what sexual relationships are like and it's if anything is denigrating towards women you know i don't know like why as a woman she wants to put this out out there you know for well, i don't think that i don't agree with you at all when it comes to how this degrading imagery of women uh if she's putting this out there on her own free will i think that's the point and you know she's allowed to have control of her own sexual thoughts and uh, thoughts and expressions uh it, like you might say about porn workers, I don't think that that's necessarily toxic either. I think there's the conversation around sex itself needs to change, not the uh, people talking about it. And uh, and so I, I'm happy when I hear such uh, dominantly fe feminine, uh, in in terms of even the sexual energy, the sexual sexual dynamic of like dom women, uh, stating their sexual. Uh, interest and in, in, in perversions and, and stuff as well and you know being a more full person and not only men who can state these kind of uh, ideas you know i i don't know what world it is that 
you want to cult cultivate where you censor this or you don't embrace this kind of uh, dialect because I think uh, a world where this conversation is, is normalized is a better, uh, a better place. And honestly, I've met women who talk like this. So this, you know, I think uh, in terms of sexual dynamics, this is a very interesting album. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, like here in Germany, it's, uh, sex work is legal, right? It's taxed by the government. And so I was watching a documentary, and uh, there was a woman, I think she worked in uh, like a fish plant by day, and then at night she was a sex worker. And for her, it was just a way of making a living. Right. But when someone is calling themselves a slut and a whore, and, uh, you know, this these words have a negative connotation to it. It has actually a, a connotation of submission and the complete opposite of what you're talking about, of a woman taking control of her sexuality. I think being sub, submissive, and referring to yourself in those ways can both be related to uh, taking back the power of those things. Also, in uh, being a sub in the sexual uh, uh, position or or a dominant sexual position or to having a personality or sexual orientation that kind of fits you in between both i think they're both part of having that sexual control uh over your body and your language and I, even if she refers to herself like it kind of in a parody honestly and the opening track like hi i'm a slut but and almost like taking it back but it also fits within that sexual energy that they embody you know, still placing yourself in that place is still part of your sexual energy that you can refer to and speak to. It's not, it's demeaning, sure, but that's also can be part of a sexual dynamic. And I think it's still important to be able to control those aspects and being able to consensually be placed into them uh, with your partner or whoever you choose to have your partner. And I, I, those with the constraints that are, are, you know, controlled, I don't see a problem. Yeah, I, and I, I see what you, I see what you said I see what you mean, especially by that last part. And you know, if maybe little Mariko, uh, if her intention is to take ownership of that, then I I under, I understand. But at the same time, you it's hard to say that you know there's going to be some young kid who's going to listen to this, uh, or see someone on the internet acting like this and then treat a girl the same way that this girl says she wants to be treated, whether or not she's parrot and whether or not she's making a parody or not. And for that reason, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just vulgar, you know, uh, in the same way where I would expect people to be able to have conversations with violence and movies and TV or video games or, uh, understanding those realms. I would also expect that to be placed upon music. Um, I don't think, taking how someone digests the song from the way it's intended and what its purpose is and what it encompasses. I, I don't think it, the fault can be put on the artist. I think uh, as a, a young person, their life should be um, supported, especially in their sexual journey, should be supported as they grow. And these conversations, especially the young males, to how they uh, relate or engage with women and how they uh, uh, express that relationship in their life should be or women to women, men to men, however it is, however your sexual orientation that you fall. Uh, I think that's more, but for someone individually, and that requires more individual care and uh, the tasks where I think these songs were more expressions of more 
emotionally mature people who can kind of understand what it is that they're hearing. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how emotionally mature little Mariko is. I think she's only like 19 or 20 or 21 or something like that. Sure. Uh, my biggest fear is just that, you know, like some young person is going to listen to this and then go out and, you know, treat some unfortunate girl like less than human, you know? Right, right. But that's been uh, the case for a long time uh, with that music like this. Uh, I, I can see where your, your fear of being influenced by this is. Um, but again, there's like a lot more songs in here that encompasses more about that dynamic um, than the two I that you like uh, 100 dicks is uh, <laughs> her annoyance with people sending her dick pics uh, in her DMs yeah. all the time and how it's annoying. And there's another song about if the, if you come up on me and you kind of like come up to me without like, you know, and disrespect me, you know, I'm going to castrate you with my Louis Vuittons. And so she takes a very vulgar way to go about it, but she does uh, kind of like speak to these kind of things. It's just in a very callous and like immature sounding way, but it is a yeah. sign of a rising uh, fe feminine sexuality that, is becoming more and more acceptable, and which I think can only deem as a positive. Uh, I can, I can at least, I can agree with that for sure. You know, uh, she's at least trying to take control of the conversation, uh, even if she goes about it in sort of radical and vulgar ways. Uh, however, as far as the music goes, uh, there's nothing that really stands out to me. It was sort of seemed quite conventional as far as. You know, just uh, there's some looping bass and some synths, and yeah, it's a it's it's kind of like a the punk esque version of pop and like sex pop. It's very kind of like minimal and just kind of like oozing with personality, and it's just kind of chocked full for 16 minutes of just these you know track after track after track of these kind of like oozing personality tracks. Um, the instrumentals are not obviously something that are well layered in well not exact layer but like they don't build in these grand orchestral ways they're straight to the point the lyrics are are easy to hear and, and super focused and kind of draw your attention through the whole album is her personality the things that she's saying uh plus a little bit of like the gumminess that comes along with it i think that's what's gonna draw you through the 16 minutes and uh i, I again i just uh, i really enjoyed that album and it's like such a little 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 snippet that uh, it kind of like looks kind of like an EP, but uh, I, I just enjoy the energy. I, I don't know how much of it is character or to put on for you know performance. I don't know the the line there, and I don't think I need to know honestly. I think I just enjoy what is being presented. Yeah, it's just uh, certainly an album that you know tries to capture its audience by being shocking. And mm -hmm. you know if you're somebody, if you're somebody who likes you know WAP, for instance, you'll probably have some fun with these songs. And I guess in a way they can be fun, but at the same time, I just think that uh, they're more harmful than they are good. Yeah, I I'll, I'll disagree with you there, but uh, well, well, let the viewers uh, decide this. I I, I hope people. Uh, you know what I'm thinking about right now, but uh, I'm curious what the if the audience could uh, 
leave some comments and let us know how they felt about the album and where they land. Because I think it's an interesting conversation that uh, goes beyond this uh, this LP. Uh, I mean, it's certainly a conversation piece, you know, and uh, I think it's 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 the type of album to, that generates discussions like this, and that's part of the point is because it's it's trying to be contentious, it's trying to be inflammatory. Right. I mean, well, the entry track is called "Hi, I'm a Slut," and the way that it almost sounds like it's coming through like a messaging machine. Right, right. She uh, she has quite a personality, uh, quite a oozing of. Some of it is annoying. Some of the personality is grating, but uh, at the same time, it's also charming. And her endearing. voice, her voice sounds like it's coming through uh, some sort of ad- advertisement or something. Oh, you know, maybe. <laughs> I, I think like, maybe that's the point. But uh, you know, I just uh, I, I don't know as far as her musical career goes how sustainable this is. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how uh, how much longevity that she's going to get out of something like this, but uh, it's curious. She can, you know, I'm curious to see how it goes. I'll, it's I'll curi- listen to her album. It's an item of curiosity. It is. Well, I think that was good for uh, for today. I back after two weeks. We'll uh, we've got shoo shoo in the bag, and then we got a few more albums that are pretty exciting coming down the line. Uh, we might have another omnibus to cover some of them because there's a few.